Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Trust is such an important element in any relationship. And yet in the scriptures we see God's unique perspective, being holy, being separate, knowing all things. What does God trust in, in regards to us? We want to speak upon this subject, the divine attributes of God, born in human form in a manger. The divine attributes of God born in a human form in the manger. In Acts the 14th chapter and the 26th verse, the word of God says, And thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They had been recommended or committed to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Now that has to do with commitment and it talks about commitment to the grace of God. In 1 Peter 2.23, Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed unto him who judgeth righteously. That's the second verse we want you to consider before we speak. And then, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, To witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and not imputing their trespasses unto them, notice that very carefully, has a lot to do with the message, and had committed unto us, here's the word commit again, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that passage deals also with our subject. All right? The Word of God says in John 2.24 that Jesus Christ did not commit himself unto them. He did not commit himself unto them for he knew what was in the heart of man, or the hearts of men. Now, the 23rd verse says this. It says that the B part on the Passover, they believed upon him because of the miracles. They believed upon him because of the miracles. Now, think of that. They believed upon him because of the miracles. But the 24th verse says, Nevertheless, it doesn't say nevertheless, but that's what it implies. He did not commit himself unto them. See, after he performed miracles, they committed themselves unto him. They made a commitment. But he didn't commit himself unto them. Do you know why? Because he knew what was inside of them. So get the picture. There's a lot of miracles today going on, and thank God for any legitimate bona fide miracle. And in these miracles, many people make a commitment to God. But God doesn't make a commitment to them. Now, the 25th verse gives the answer why. 
It says he did not need that anyone should testify of man because he knew what was inside of man. That's a very important opening to tonight's message. It was the Passover, and many had believed upon him because of the miracles. And so after the miracles were performed, they said, in essence, I'm going to make a commitment to this man. See what he's done. And Jesus turns around and said, I'm not making a commitment to one of you. But I love you. No commitment to you. Because I know all of you. Now don't be insulted by this. Jesus has never, pertaining to his work, made a commitment to the people that were going to do it. But he did commit himself unto God. Now, what was his commitment unto God? That he would be born in a manger and he would be incarnated and live for 33 years and die and shed his blood and bear the sins of the whole world in his own body, a world that he could not ever trust to do his will. So his commitment unto God was this. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Now, that doesn't mean, even though he died for the sins of the whole world, and he did in the unlimited atonement, that does not mean that everybody in the world is saved. They are not. They have to believe on Jesus Christ, of course, in order to be saved. But the barrier has been removed. The sin barrier, the personal sin barrier, the imputed sin barrier has been removed by Jesus Christ becoming sin and then bearing our sins in his own body. And therefore, the barrier has been removed, but it takes faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be regenerated, of course, by the Holy Spirit. So, he doesn't commit himself unto men, but he commits himself to the Father to voluntarily die on the cross for men and women. Now, after he does this, he then makes a commitment to redeem men. I repeat, after he did this, for those that are saved, he makes a commitment. And what is that commitment? He commits them in Acts 14.26 to the grace of God. Now, grace depends upon who and what God is, not who and what we are. Grace is determined by the character of the giver, never the character of the receiver. So, the apostles learned it in Acts 14. Jesus Christ commits us unto the grace of God. Let me explain it biblically. One, law came by Moses. Grace and doctrine came by Jesus Christ. John 1, 16 and 17, of his fullness have we received, grace for grace. B, 
For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. See, we rejoice in Jesus Christ by the grace wherein we stand and have access to God. Romans 5.2 D. But we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 E. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.1, A, B, C, D, E, F. Hebrews 13.9, B, be established in the grace of God, you see. Now, in these principles, we have God committing those that believe on him and believing on him is a non-meritorious faith in the object, Jesus Christ. We do not merit what we have from him. So he commits us under the grace of God and allows us to stand in that grace with a perfect tense, something he did in the past that has permanent results. Then when he chastises us, if we sin and do not recover in time, in Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, the chastisement is done through grace that it might bring forth peaceable fruits of righteousness. Notice, peaceable, relaxed fruits in righteousness. That's the purpose of chastisement. It is not condemnation. It's to give us something much better than we now have experientially through him. Now, all of this is that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches and kindness of his grace toward us throughout all the ages to come in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. Now, we have been committed by believing on Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, to the grace of God, a non-meritorious system that depends upon the giver and not us. Now, that's the first major thing that is not understood by the majority of God's people today. Many of them understand measures of it, but they don't really understand the truth of it. They taught grace, but they don't understand grace. So God says, I can't commit myself to you, but I will commit myself to God to do something to take care of all of your bad things, all the bad things about you. I will die for you. And all of your sins will be laid upon me in Isaiah 53, 6. I'll bear them in my own body to satisfy the integrity, justice, holiness, and righteousness of God the Father toward you. And he will look upon me and you'll be hid with Christ in God in Colossians 3, 3. And you'll be in me and you will be a new creature while you grow Make progress, fail, flounder around, and whatever might happen to your life. I will let you stand in grace. I will discipline you in grace. The purpose of discipline is to teach you how to enjoy my daily benefits and my daily provision of grace. And remember this, that my grace will be sufficient for you and my strength will always be made perfect in your weakness. When you are weak, then you will be strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Now, the believer's problem has been to understand the meeting place for his commitment to God. Now, God was in Christ 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. It's a son question, not the sin question. For the world, for those that are lost, in 1 John 5, 9, the concepts of truth are distorted. Comprehension of reality is misrepresented. And therefore, this is understood so little in so many places. So now what happens? I certainly don't want to take the grace of God and make it to be a license to sin or to turn it into lasciviousness in Jude 4 or to practice antinomianism in Titus 1.16. I want the grace of God to teach me to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live quietly with doctrine and peaceful in this present evil world representing Christ as an ambassador in Titus 2.12. But that has to be done through grace. So the righteous fall sometimes, seven times in a day, and they get up again through this recovery of grace in Proverbs 24:16. But the wicked who don't understand grace, redemption, finished work, or believing on Christ, fall and stay in mischief. You see the difference? That is why Jesus said to his disciples in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, if somebody does something against you seven times in one day and they turn and repent, you've got to forgive them the same thing seven times in a single day. Why did he make it so obvious? Because he was teaching a lesson of what grace is that no man can ever understand. You can't comprehend it. It's incomprehensible. So Peter said, the rabbis will sometimes forgive up to three times. And Peter said, I will forgive more than three times. Haven't I been growing lately? And Jesus said, how many times will you forgive Peter? And how many times did Peter say? See if you remember Matthew 18, 21 to 36. How many times? Sure he did. He said, once in a while... A real gracious rabbi will forgive up to three times. But Lord, how many times do you think I'll forgive? More than twice that. And Jesus looked at him and said, try 70 times seven. And he didn't mean 490 times. Because in the Greek, it's an inexhaustible number of times determined by people accepting grace. Blessed are those whose iniquities are covered, whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whom the Lord cannot and will not impute sin. Romans 4, 7, and 8, taken from Psalm 32, the double negatives that are beautiful. Now then, commitment. Jesus Christ committed himself to us to die on the cross. Now that he did that, we commit ourselves to the same cross to receive grace and to be built up in it. So he said, I commit unto you the word of reconciliation. Notice that. I commit unto you the word of reconciliation. Paul said in Acts 20, verse 32, I commit you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. Now, you're following this principle of commitment. 
The word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? The word of grace that builds us up and gives us an inheritance among those that have already accepted Hebrews 10.10. Hebrews 10.14. For we are sanctified by one offering in the body of Jesus Christ once and for all and we are perfected. He is perfected forever them that are set apart. Hebrews 10.14. Now this is the glorious gospel of God's grace. And everybody sometimes will listen to a very strong message perhaps from evangelists and I'm for the evangelists and they have a job to do and they'll march down the aisle and they're not taught during that message to make a commitment to grace which is the fruit of the cross in the finished work word of God. They are challenged into condemnation to make a commitment of works to reveal the results of the message. Paul learned a lesson. He said, You folks, I now commit you to the grace of God. He learned to commit his believers, his folks that got saved, to the grace of God. And he committed them to the word of God, which he called the word of his grace, which was able to build them up. To build them up. And to give them an inheritance among them who were already sanctified through the one offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all and perfected forever inside of Christ. In a manger, here's somebody born showing you the attributes of unconditional love. You just think of it. A love that would die for us while we were yet sinners when we didn't merit even a second look. In Romans 5a. A love that once we would accept Christ would never, no, never, no, never leave us or forsake us. A triple thing in Hebrews 13.5. It said triple in the original Greek. Triple saying in that text. And we preached last time that if we fall, we're not utterly cast down. He upholds them at fall. Anybody judges, judges us, we taught you in the Greek, stand we will, because Christ is for us. No one can lay any charge to God's elect. It's Christ that justifieth. No one can condemn us. It's Christ that died, yea, that is risen, yea, that is ever living to make it intercession for us. In Romans 8.34, no one can separate us from the love of God and life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things past, present, nor come will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, sin, Christ Jesus. You tell me one thing tonight that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and I'll give you the bingo prize. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. Acts 20.32 And now, brethren, I commend you to God 
and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And this is Paul speaking here. He had seen the grace of God in action in his own life, (laughs) in his own conversion, in a conversion of disciples, both Jews and Gentiles. Seeing people come to know God and seeing the reality of what grace manifested in the world accomplishes in people's lives. In Acts 14, 26, And then sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come, they gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples, rehearsing what God has done, rehearsing God's grace. Romans 5.2 By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In hope of the revealing of God, that God's true nature would be revealed in the world. We have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand. Isn't that amazing? So, can God trust our fallen nature? Obviously not. Our fallen nature is at enmity with God. That means it is by nature the enemy of God. And yet who we've become because of what Christ has done on our behalf. The basis of the relationship, there is a great trust. We trust in the Lord. We trust in him. We know he's faithful. He doesn't trust in us to accomplish the work, and yet he's entrusted something great into our care. In 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 11, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It's this, it's the message, the message of the cross and what's been accomplished. The message that God sent his own son to die for the sins of mankind. God has entrusted us with this message. It is an amazing thing that God entrusts us to his grace, knowing that his grace will do the work in our lives that's necessary. It, it, we are sanctified in a progressive way through this life, through, our, through an ongoing revelation, illumination, again and again. We get a glimpse of the face of Jesus Christ and we're transformed from glory to glory into the very image of the one who saved us. That our, we begin to take on the character of the one who loved us. And he entrusts this message to us as well. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. So now you who are listening, this message has been entrusted to you, that God loves you. He doesn't desire that you perform on his behalf. He's not counting on you to accomplish anything, because he's already accomplished all that is necessary in this world, in this life, for us to know him, to operate in his kingdom. So will you believe God is holding this out to you, the gospel, the glorious gospel, saying, you can be saved. Your sins, though they be as scarlet, 
can be made white as snow if you will believe in the one who was sent to die on your behalf, that you might get to know God and be in a relationship with him, in a reciprocal relationship with the holy, sovereign God. So, you may want to pray a prayer, something like this, if you've never trusted Christ before. Lord, come into my life. Save me. I believe that you died, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead, that you love me, that before the foundation of the world, I was on your mind. And while you were hanging on the cross, you were thinking of me for the joy that was set before you of a reconciled relationship. You suffered what you suffered so that I could live. Right now, I put my trust in you that you'll come into my life and transform me. And I ask you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.